always enjoy coming up here and kind of looking and seeing what we're going to find sitting around on top of this little pedestal here. It's uh, highly unpredictable from week to week. Um, I have uh, something I'd like to read for you, and, and I suspect that there are a few people in the room that may have a clue what this is uh, referring to. The, um, the Enterprise is to represent the United Federation of Planets on a five-year mission into outer space to explore new worlds, seek new life and new civilizations, and to boldly go where no man has gone before. Now, for those of us of an older generation, um, I grew up with Star Trek um, for many years, and uh, this was what would come on television, and it was always exciting to hear about all these things that were out there. But uh, their five-year mission is now 49 mission, uh, 49 years in, in length. And yes, I also can do that. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, so um, it's, it's an interesting process because this was a, a, a program that drew people's interest as it talked about trying to find things that were out and beyond our normal worlds. Um, and like I say, the five years now is 49, but um, the, the, the bottom line of our scripture for or the, the, where we're going today is asking a question saying, is anybody out there and listening? And uh, I think even for me, back when I was watching Star Trek, that was one of the things that drew me into it, was wondering, is there something out there and listening? And even at the time, I knew of my relationship with God. But um, one of the things I can say to you today, the answer that, that we're looking for is trying to understand how God relates to us and how we can connect with Him. And when we ask the question, is He out there and is He listening? We've been speaking the last couple of weeks about prayer. We've been trying to focus in on the fact that that is a special availability that we find of God as He relates to us. Prayer is what God's followers do to communicate praise. Prayer is what God's followers use to communicate our needs. Some people use long prayers. Some people use short prayers. Some use all kinds of eloquent language. Some are just sharing from the depths of their being. Even as we looked recently at a scripture in Luke verse eight, uh, chapter 18, uh, verses 9 to 14, where it was the, the Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee knew how to use the experience to express how great he was to God, whereas the tax collector left a very simple, down-to-earth, confession that he was not suitable even to come before God. God is impressed with our heart. He looks for our heart. In the scriptures that we read a few minutes ago, virtually every scripture says, ask and it will be given to you as you seek. Ask and, he will, and you, he, you will receive. Ask in my name, this will I do. James 5, 14 to 16 says, If someone is sick, do boldly come. 
and pray. Place it before God, expecting God will respond as He needs to. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, let your requests be known. Having said all of that, some people would say this, but pastor, I have prayed. Where is God? I graduated from university and I still can't find a job. I've completed a second master's degree and the salary I'm receiving is basically the same as if I had gone straight out of high school into a job. I've been sick with lung cancer, but I don't even smoke. People pray, but where is, where is God? My husband had a disease that the doctors say is incurable. Why would that come into my family? I hate my job, for the people I work with are not people of integrity. My father is over 85 years old, and I'm exhausted for caring for him daily and for my family. My daughter is just divorced and now has moved back home, and we're not doing well in our relationship. I've been praying for my sister for 30 years. She still has not made a decision for Jesus. The pastor's sermons just don't seem to relate to me, but I do still want to support the church. This church seems to argue so much and have issues. And I've prayed, but it seems like the problems still continue. I'm 35 years old. I'm single. God, am I ever going to marry? Are you listening? My parents complain about everything, and I keep asking you to change them. But where are you? My back and knees hurt all the time. I really want to serve you, God, but my energy is just not there. My husband died four years ago, and I'm lonely and a bit lost. I try to remain focused on God's service, but sometimes I just get tired. I've quit all the committees in the church, but I know that still, down deep within myself, God wants to use me to serve Him. I'm in debt, and nobody knows about it. And I'm afraid, God, where are you? What are your issues today? You and I are human beings. We want to be spiritual people who are dependent on God, expectant of God, boldly following Him, being used by Him. Where is God in this? Is He really listening? Are you just being ignored or is He simply not around? Didn't He promise that He would answer our prayers? You know, the Catholics often get off into this thing about how busy Jesus is so they pray to Mary or they pray to the saints because they're not quite as busy. I don't think the issue has ever been Jesus being too busy to hear our prayers. Today I'd like for us to look at a couple of people in Scripture that um, are not unlike us. Not to say that they have all the answers, 
but it certainly challenges us to the reality of the world in which we live. One we know very well is Job. And as we look at Job and we look at what the Scripture has to say about life from his perspective, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, but in verse, especially in verse 5, we can see that this man was committed to having a spiritual walk with the Lord, regardless of the circumstances. I would challenge you, I would challenge me to ask myself, am I that dependable to God? That regardless of the circumstances, regardless of my ability to understand why, I will be there following my Lord. Are you that kind of person? Am I that kind of person? Job presented a very interesting approach. Verse 5 says, And it was so when in the days that their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Talking about his family. For he said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Job prayed and hung in there. Continued to pray, even when he didn't know if there was a sin occurring. He was trying to be ahead of the game. He was saying, my walk with God is so important, it doesn't matter how many people are here. It doesn't matter how many children I have to deal with. It doesn't matter whether I know what their sins are there. It doesn't matter about the circumstances of of, of anything connected with argumentation or debate or problems in the world in which he lived, he just said, I've got to be sure my relationship with God is correct and I want to also cover any possibilities that my children may be making sin a part of their lives. Job faithfully prayed for his family. And yet... We know the story because indeed he even was able to turn to Satan and say, Satan, have a look. Without knowing what tomorrow will bring, this one is dependent on me. This one has fellowship with me. This one realizes the dangers you, Satan, bring to him and he makes sure that he and his family are okay. Are we that spiritually hungry? Do we realize the value, the precious gift we have in our fellowship and relationship with God? We do have a responsibility. Do, we, do you pray for your family, your mothers, your fathers, your uncles, those that are not believers? Are we burdened for that spiritual depth to occur within their lives? And yet, even after all of this, we, we know the story. In chapter 1, suddenly Satan says, yeah, but you've given him a great life. And the story gets very clear because suddenly his animals are taken away from him. His, his sheep, his servants, the camels, and eventually his family. His sons and his daughters are all killed. This whole, it's death coming from the left and from the right. All that he's built his whole life toward is destroyed. 
Now, walk with me, if you will, in your own mind. Some people in your family at some stage in history, whether it was you or your parents or their parents, left Asia and came this direction. They came seeking a better life. They put all of their efforts and their time into that process. This week we heard uh, at the funeral of Brother Henry's father about the experience of coming and spending five or six years on his own here. Again, for the benefit of the family, trying to provide for the betterment of the family. And gradually things got better and the next generation did better and maybe they have a home that's very nice now. And then the children are all doing well. They went to good schools. They graduate. And suddenly, in Job's experience, it was all taken away. How dependent are we on our circumstances and our emotions for our walk with God? We say we we hunger for spiritual depth and a walk with Christ. But what if that walk demands of us more than we think we can handle? Job went through all of this, and even to the point that sores were placed on his body. And he was still struggling, and he was still saying, this is not comfortable, this is not enjoyable, I don't like it. But he still did not curse God. He did ask the question, why am I even here? He struggled with his life worth it. You know, I've lost all the material possessions, all of the things I valued, my family, everything is destroyed. My wife has now even encouraged me to say, curse God and die. Even she's saying, forgive it, the one that's here to support me and encourage me. I would say to you, it's not really a surprise that he would have that kind of advice, that he would reach that level of frustration and disappointment and sense of loss. We know the full story of Job. We know what happens. And yet our, our minds somehow, we, we, we wrap around the animals and the children and the misfortunes of Job. God is doing everything He can to reveal to Job that he can make it. And that there are things more important than the material things of this world. God believes Job will make it through the, 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 the challenges. Satan believes he won't. So he keeps trying, keeps pushing the button. Keep saying, if you'll take this from him, if you'll take this from him, you'll take this from him. Eventually, he's going to say, it's all your fault, God, I'm out of here. What would it take for you to surrender? If we ever talk about God, are you out there or not? And I compare myself to Job, I have to confess, I have nothing to offer. He went through so many more trials than I can comprehend. We don't always understand God. But is He out there and listening? We tend to get wrapped up in the things of this world. You know, even as Christians, we we talk about our spiritual walk. We talk about 
the security we have in the future. We talk about our understanding that uh, there's going to be a time when we will leave this earthly world with all of its trials and tribulations. That all sounds great, but when it gets down to the bottom line, oftentimes there's not much difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. We're holding on as tightly as we can. In this story of Job, he's tested at that point to say, that is true. You've got everything materially. You've been successful in every way. You've got great children. Everything looks smooth. I'm going to let you have a test. I'm going to let you be challenged. Job 19, 25 and 26 has always been a very special scripture to me. It says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the last day upon the earth, though skins, uh, the worms destroy my skin and destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God. Job had a battle going on within himself and within his soul for why he was here and who God was and whether or not circumstances were going to impact his attitude toward God. His heart felt the painful loss of children and a whole life that he had built for himself. Again, if you removed all that you had, if your total infrastructure was taken away, and you suddenly found yourself living in a certain part of the city of Vancouver on the street, how would you handle it? What would you do? He knew what was most important was his spiritual identity, but it still did not make it easy. We can know it in our mind, but it still doesn't make for the path to be an easy path. Are we any different? How do we handle issues that appear beyond our control? My mother died at age 87. My father died at age 48. Mikey Shearer, a guy that lived across the street, one of my best friends, died at the age of 16. I had different responses. They had different lengths of life. Each one was a loss. Each one hit me differently. But was my prayer being heard? Was my prayer being heard? I didn't want any of those things to happen. I prayed, and they died anyway. Job prayed his prayer. He, he was prayed up. He had all of the right things in place. He had been praying ahead of time to make sure nothing happened and still, in every sense of the word, it looks like he failed. It looked like God wasn't there. Look at Jesus, number two example. Jesus at Gethsemane. Jesus is our model. We call ourselves Christians, which means to be a follower of Jesus. That's a good thing. Now, I will admit, the prayer that he prayed at Gethsemane was a prayer I don't think um, I would have been very good at. I could have done well for the first half. I wouldn't have done great at the last half. Because he prayed not for what I would have prayed for. Jesus prayed asking to be relieved the responsibility of death on a cross. He said, if it's your will, if there's any chance, I'd rather not go through the suffering of a cross. Now, remember, he was fully human. 
Jesus was fully human and fully divine. Hard for us to comprehend, but that is what the Scripture teaches. So he knew what pain was. And he didn't want to go on a cross and die. So he said, if there's any way that I cannot do this, he prayed and said, God, if you'll allow that to happen, I'd rather not do this. Now, I could, do, I could handle that part of the prayer. But the last half of the prayer is the hard part. Nevertheless, your will be done. Nevertheless, your will be done. See, once you say your will be done, you've taken it out of your control. You've taken it out of your value system of what's right and wrong and good and bad and successful or a failure. You've immediately said, you're the creator, not me. You could take this down the pathway of the Job experience where prayer was already there and still you went in a direction he was ill-prepared for. And that's what happened that day. Because Jesus came with the prayer and He said, you know, I don't want to go this way. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to, I'm not going to dance walking down the street saying, oh boy, these people are beating me, spitting on me, and they're going to stick huge stakes into my hand. And yet He prayed the prayer asking for the will of God. You know, Jesus, we have to understand at that point, emotionally, these must have been very difficult days. Because not only was he dealing with the physical things that were coming his direction, and he knew were on their way, because he had seen crucifixions before. He knew what a crucifixion would include. But according to the Scripture, you know, we're, we're having to look at we, his best friend, Peter, has already denied him. You know, Peter's there, this, this guy that says, I'll be there anytime you want, anything you need. Don't worry about I am always dependable. It's already failed. You've got Judas that's about to get involved in this picture. And he knows what's happening. He knows the kind of people he knew from the very beginning. And yet Judas was one of the inner twelve. One of the closest ones. One of the one, maybe one of his, the equivalent, if you want to call it that, one of his deacons. One of the guys he worked with intimately that knew him, knew all of the the inner parts of who Jesus was and what He was there to do. He had given Him some, uh, maybe some discipleship training, if you want to call it that. And yet, Jesus knew, this Judas is not going to make it either. He's going to betray me. Straight up. So we look at Jesus here. And so Jesus is praying, and again, it looks like God's not answering. So if you say you pray sometime and you say, but I did ask him and the answer didn't seem to come right because I know what I wanted and I told him what I wanted and in my prayer, was God not there? Job had that experience. Jesus had that experience. You know, in the um, uh, my background is from the uh, United States. And there was something prior to anyone in my, any of my relatives ever being in the United States, something called the Civil War, where the North and the South were fighting. And in the Civil War, they say that many of the families in certain areas would split and they would actually send one son to the North, one son to the South, in hopes that one of the two would live through the war. The parents wanted to be sure someone made it. 
Were the parents praying? I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were praying for their sons. But if, if one died and one lived, it's kind of a confusing prayer. Sometimes things are confusing in our relationship. Not everything's wrapped up nicely in a box, and it doesn't matter how many hours we study. You still don't have it boxed up correctly because God is God, not you. There's always going to be something out there that's one twist beyond your ability to understand. But what does God desire of His disciples in prayer? I think that's possibly more important than any part of this as we try to understand, is He out there and is He listening? I would say to you, we have to at least understand what God is wanting out of us. Because if you look at Job, Job prayed before he knew what was coming his way. And the Scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Now, as you've noted before, the word prayer, we've talked about this. You can pray on your knees. You can pray standing. There are many different positions we find in Scripture. You can pray with your eyes open or your eyes closed. If you're driving a car, I would prefer the eyes open part. But when we talk about prayer without ceasing, we're describing something without any kind of an intermission. No break time. It means a constant process. Now, if you do that and you're that focused on God, can you relate to other people? You know, it's within this request for prayer without ceasing that I think we can find the life of Job and find the life of Jesus. They knew what it was to be 24-hour dependent on God. And yet they struggled. They both had struggle, even in the midst of that. Job, even though he was unsure of the sins and the lives of his family, he remained focused. Praying without ceasing very much for him was because of a genuine walk with God. His prayer without ceasing was not something that meant he sat down in a little room somewhere and didn't ever interact with life. For him, his prayer without ceasing was an integrated intimacy with God. That part of it is our goal. You and I need to have such a close walk with God that we don't have to think about we're going to study about Him later, or later today I'll be doing this. We can talk to God anywhere. I remember one of the longest experiences I had in prayer was traveling with a buddy of mine where we drove across America and praying for hours and hours. It's, it, it's, it's an awareness that God guides, but it's a genuine awareness to where you also confess your, your, your failures and your successes. And that's what Job was doing. He confessed, he, he begged for help, and sought guidance. Looking at Jesus, the other example, who also seemed to almost be ignored by God, Jesus also dared to mention his own preference. He, did, he didn't have any problem when in his prayer to ask and say, if I don't have to go through this experience, I'd rather not. I would say to any of us in here, perfectly legitimate question. I mean, a perfectly reasonable thing to ask of God, whatever you need to. Now, how He responds is still His business. 
And I think that's one of the things we have to recognize. For us, we seem to be very heavily earthbound in our requests. And I suspect that even as Job and Jesus came to this at first, the first half, like I said, of Jesus' prayer was, if I don't have to go through this, I'd rather not. But then he went on. Your will, not mine. In Job's case, Job had been praying and praying and still tried after he had experienced the thing, the loss of so many things to continue to relate to God. When his friends said to him, Job, go ahead, do what your wife said. You know, she said, curse God and die. You know, you just need to give up on your, your life. You're, you, you're a failure. You definitely have sinned. Somewhere there's something hidden in your life. I'm sure it's your fault that God's not listening. See, again, their perspective was God's not listening because God is not doing what they want you to do, what they wanted Him to do, and what certainly what Job wanted to have happen. And part of the problem for us is we tend to treat God actually in the same way that many people treat different kinds of gods and try to use it as a manipulative power that they can then tell it to do something and something will happen because of it. When in fact... Our relationship with God is one of requesting. And how He responds is still His business. Prayer without ceasing wasn't something Jesus did. Let's see. Prayer without ceasing wasn't something Jesus did, but who Jesus was with His life. It was so integrated into His identity that He couldn't even get out a full sentence without saying, Nevertheless, your will, not mine. I would really like to do this. However, I do understand more important is your will. If we want to have a walk and know where God is, if we want to know if He's out there and listening, walk with God more closely. And I'm talking to me. I'm not just talking to you. When I look at the Scripture and I see what it says about prayer, I am fully convicted that we don't know what it is to let the new self be fully in control of ourselves. We continue to roll back over into the old self. That's where those temptations of materialism and family and whatever it may be. And we seem to somehow forget that our existence here is to be salt and light to the lost world in which we live. When we find ourselves only focused on the comforts and the involvement we have within our own little Christian circle, we're already missing the purpose behind why God wants us to work as a church and as a unit in service to Him. The Mormons have a very, a very interesting system that's very much based on their merit. And they, um, of course, as you, when you study anything about Mormonism, you learn some very fascinating things, which one is that they can become a god of their own world at some future point if you live... And, and are good enough in their world. And they've got some thinking in there. It's very strange. But it does get those people to at least think otherworldly. To think beyond the limitations of this world. Would it were that Christians somehow could get slapped more, more strongly than we ever have to remember this world is not our home. We are visitors here. This is temporary. Our spiritual life is more important than anything else. And that's what Job was wrestling with. That's even what Jesus was wrestling with. When they said, God, are you out there? Are you hearing me? 
God, I'm, I need some help here. I don't fully get it all. As Christians, for us to ignore the teachings of Christ regarding heaven or the importance of our future being a, a walk for eternity to the point that we don't want to see other people or don't bother to see other people come to know Christ, we are becoming overly absorbed in this world and we're becoming a failure. Job and Jesus were absorbed with the will of God. May it be that we also will be absorbed with the will of God and that our walking with Christ will be so close we cannot step away. Philippians 1.21 For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul wrote these words to remind those people why he was still around wasn't because he found this world that great. It was that he felt like he still could serve a purpose. We are here for purpose. Is anybody listening today? Is God listening? I would say to you, yes. The problem may not be him. The problem may be us. Are we listening? An integrated faith says that we are to be wise as servants, and harmless as, harmless as doves. And it's not easily developed within our lives. Because we have so much of our time focused on getting our lives in order. Getting things comfortable. Getting our, our houses and our cars and our family and everything. We put in so much of our effort and time into that. That for Jesus to truly guide us toward praying without ceasing becomes very, very difficult. Certainly today, my prayer for us would be that we would realize He is listening and He is acting, but it may never be for Him to act as what we would think is the correct thing. But we need to be very receptive, just like Job was, to say, I'm going to stick with you, God, even when I don't understand, whether the circumstances are good or the circumstances are beyond my understanding, you are Lord, not me. Let us pray. Father God, we come today before you asking that you would remind us that prayer is a gift and a privilege and that through walking with you each and every day, in a way that we are controlled by your values and morals and integrity and concern and burden, we can make a difference to the world in which we live. Not because we have great skills, but because we want to make ourselves available as your tools. Father, we do recognize that Jesus even felt pain and suffering, did not... Uh, walk into His experience naively. And yet for us, He suffered. Father, help us to appreciate the testimony of Jesus and Job and be challenged to be 24-hour-a-day Christians with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.